Regarding the cerebellum, there is a culture and a presentation. Both hold power and sway. Welcome you into another episode of Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda series podcast. I'm Ryan Mazzocco. And I'm Ethan Maestri. We are here with episode 74, and I am springing this on Ethan. He is totally unaware. If you could see his face right now, he doesn't know what's about to happen. Um, changing things up a little bit, I'm going to start out with a riddle. Ooh, a riddle. I hate a riddle. Sort of, eh, actually, it's not really a riddle. It's really more of a... A spelling test. I hate those two, but all right, <laughs> throw it at me. You're going to do great. All right, so I have three words that I want you to spell for me. Oh, no. Orally, just off the top of your head. Okay. All right. I would just like to state for the record, before we get started, I did go to school in Arkansas, so. <laughs> all right. So your first word, Ethan, is MacDonald. MacDonald? Yes. That would be M-A-C-D-O-N-A-L-D. That is correct. Okay. I would like you to spell for me now, Macadoodle. Macadoodle would be M-A-C-A-D-O-O-D-L-E? That is correct. Okay. Um, you know what? I'm telling this wrong. Rewind. Back up. <laughs> It's okay. It's, it's digital. Not going to it's, yeah, okay. Yeah. It's not going to affect anything. But all right, all right. Sort of. It's sort of a reverse spelling test. I'm going to spell the word, and you tell me what it is. Okay. Okay. So the first word for you, Ethan, is M A C D O N A L D. That would be McDonald. That is correct. Your next word, Ethan. M-A-C-A-D-O-O-D-L-E. MacDoodle. That is correct. Your third word, M-A-C-H-I-N-E-R-Y. Spell that one more time. M-A-C-H-I-N-E-R-Y. McHenry? Henry? What episode are we doing, Ethan? Oh, <laughs> it's machinery. Machinery. <laughs> yes. machinery of the mind. Uh, yes, and and you have played with mine. Mind <laughs> that is. Uh, well, uh, well played, sir. After after a rough start, <laughs> and yeah, well done, well done. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, so here we are. We're sitting on episode seventy four. Mac Henry of the mind. Yes. Mac Hen- <laughs> and forevermore, just like home fries. Home fries. Home fries. Yeah. Mac Henry <laughs> of the mind. Very good. I like it. 
So here's what we're doing, Ethan, and listeners, as you know, because this is the 74th time that you have sat in with us, hopefully, if you've listened to them all. If not, you can go back. We'll explain how to get there at the end of the episode. But yeah, this is Andromeda. Uh, this is Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda series podcast. Podcast? This P-A-R-D. is Drive Back. <laughs> are, we, are we doing it again? Yeah. Oh, this is where we break down every episode of Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda. And uh, man, we just really dig into the mind on these, don't we? We we certainly do. Yeah. So here we are. um, Machinery of the mind, all joking aside. Let's just get right into it. Let's just uh, see. Ethan, you've got some trivia for us, right? Oh, boy, do I ever have some trivia for you, Ryan, and for you. All right. So here we go. Machinery of the Mind, was written by Ted Mann. He is a writer and producer and sometimes actor of television and has been since the late 1970s. He is the writer of such shows as Slimer and the Real Ghostbusters. That was a Saturday morning staple. (laughs) You're nodding in agreement. Um, Millennium, NYPD Blue, Total Recall 2070. Most recently, he has credits as a writer and producer of the Homeland television series. This is his only writing credit for Andromeda, and just like the last episode, he will get a partial credit in the upcoming episode, The Torment, The Release, for Season 5. This episode was directed by David Winning. Now, this is a director that we have talked about before on previous uh, trivia segments in the past on this show, and he is continuing to be a prolific director in television, most recently for the Van Helsing series. And he is currently working in pre-production on a series called The Nostronomous Mission that will kick off later this year. Now, if you want to hear more about David Winning's work, then I'd like to take this moment to direct you to DiceGeeks.com, their website, and to the DiceGeeks.com tabletop RPG show hosted by Matt. Now, on that uh, particular episode, and you can go to their website and just type in David Winning and that episode will come up. He has a very detailed, fascinating interview with director David Winning uh, about Andromeda and Earth Final Conflict and other shows that he's done uh, throughout the past decades. I highly recommend that you seek that podcast uh, episode out. And while you're at it, type in Drive Back the Night because Ryan and I were just so happened to have been on a later episode of DiceGeek.com tabletop RPG show. Oh, yeah, I remember doing that. Yep, that's right. I'm in a couple of years now. Serafina Joachim was Dr. Doctor Professor Corcavo in this, in this uh, particular episode. She's been an actress since the early 1990s with roles in such staples as The Commish, The X-Files, The Outer Limits, Jeremiah, uh, she played Megan in that series, and The Twilight Zone. Davis Avalon, he plays Professor Weldar. He's appeared in such genre shows as Stargate Atlantis, The Outer Limits, and he played Pom Pom in the film Elf. David Palfi, he plays scientist Lernier. This uh, actor is making his second appearance on Andromeda. Previously, we had seen him play the slaver group leader Ursari in the episode The Devil Take the Hindmost from season one. Rob Lee, he plays the head bailiff in this episode. His most notable role is probably, for many of our uh, listeners here that watch Stargate SG-1, uh, he is Major Pierce in, in that show. Uh, 
He's also had other roles in The 4400, The Twilight Zone, and he played Simpkin in the movie Get Carter. Finally, for our actors and actresses, we have Grace Park. She plays Dr. 26 Carol. Her first role came in the film Romeo Must Die. And since then, she has been a prolific actress in such series as The Outer Limits, Dark Angel, Stargate SG-1, The Cleaner, and Hawaii Five-O. And most recently, A Million Little Things. But for me, and I don't know, uh, Ryan, for you, it may be the same, but for me, she will always be best known for her roles as Lieutenant Sharon Boomer Valeri and Lieutenant Sharon Athena Agathon on the rebooted Battlestar Galactica series. So that's our actors and actresses here. I had a couple of more things that I wanted to go into. One, we have the planet that we visit named Galena. Now, Ryan, you and I have talked about Galena on this very show in a, yeah. in a past episode. Um, most notably because it has the tendency of dropping the ground out from under your own feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so it some happens. listeners that may have been binging might remember that discussion that we'd had. That's the Galena, Kansas that we're familiar with because it's just over the state line from where you and I live currently. Mm-hmm. However, I, I wanted to point out that this name of this planet, Galena, and we remember the story of it. It started as a mining planet, then the mines played out and it became a tourist destination, right? Yeah. This actually matches up very closely with the story of Galena, Illinois. And I would just like to take a second to read about uh, just a little snippet here from, that I pulled from the Internet about Galena, Illinois' history. Galena is a small town in northwest Illinois known for its well-preserved 19th century buildings like the 1826 Dowling House. The Ulysses S. Grant home was a gift from local citizens to the Civil War general who later became a U.S. president. Horseshoe Mound on the outskirts of Galena offers views of three states. Other mounds, thought to be ancient ceremonial sites, can be seen at Casper Bluff. These be- it began as a mining town, but as the mines played out, the town turned to making itself a tourist destination. So, I feel like the writer probably pulled a little bit from what I think is Galena, Illinois. It could be Galena, Kansas, but it's not much of a tourist destination. Well, honestly, though, I mean, I didn't know about this Galena, Illinois place, but I was seeing a lot of parallels with Galena, Kansas. I was, too. I was, too. Um, Because it's very much the same story. Definitely not nearly as successful as a uh, tourist attraction. Right. Um, But, I mean, it it does have some claims to fame, like many aspects of Galena, Kansas, uh, where it... There was much inspiration drawn from that town for the movie um, Cars, the Pixar, Disney Pixar Cars. And you can journey there today and see old rusted cars sitting in yards. And Mater. And Mater, exactly. The actual Mater resides there. And there is also the converted uh, Bordello there at the end of Main Street on the north side of town. Yep. So, yeah. You know, there, there are things to be seen. In Galena, Kansas. But they're probably talking about Illinois. Yeah. That's probably the actual uh, inspiration for Galena. The planet Galena in this episode. Anyway, that's a whole lot of nothing and a whole lot of speculation and a whole lot of you know useless trivia for you for the episode Machinery of the Mind. 
that was good. You were not kidding. There was a lot, and you handled it very well, Ethan. I got to say, I I kind of feel bad for you because I know that you've got the summary this week, and I feel like maybe I should take over that responsibility for you this one time, you know, so you can rest your voice a little bit. But that's not how we do it here. So go. <laughs> All right, our summary for Machinery of the Mind. Trust me, I did not put as nearly as much effort into the summary as I did trivia. So here we go. I think we'll all be better for it. <laughs> yeah, probably so. A conference of the galaxy's greatest minds is convened on the planet Galena to find solutions to the looming Magog worldship crisis that is facing the new, co- new system's commonwealth. Dylan's involvement is curtailed as he is called away for questioning. This leaves Harper in charge of a bunch of cowardly scientists that become even more difficult to keep focused on their objective when top scientists in the group keep disappearing and then showing up again with their brains scrambled and worse yet, dead. Dylan determines that he isn't being interrogated, but recruited by the mysterious collectors. Their dubious involvement in the Commonwealth seems even more suspicious than previously thought. Dylan escapes from their grasp, and warns the conference that trouble is present. Harper finds the trouble is embodied in the one body that he most thought he had a chance at love with, Dr. Professor Korkava. She reveals herself to be the embodiment of the abyss, and the reason the scientists are being killed as she attempts to collect the genius of the galaxy's greatest minds for the abyss to use against them. Just as she attempts to make a move on Harper, and definitely not the kind of move that he wanted, Dylan shows up with his Force Lance of Destiny and destroys the Korkava Abyss creature. In the end, Harper's time as Worst Conference MC is not a total waste, because he found out who the perpetrator was, and in doing so, they seem to have stumbled upon the key to saving the galaxies from the Abyss. The end. Excellent job, Ethan. Very succinct. And uh, I just want to say one thing. Crew! It's their back! We have crew we again. We have crew again. <laughs> yes, we do. Yes, we certainly do. Lots of crew. Um, they're, they're like, the hallways are lousy with them. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, don't these people have something, you know, like offices and, you know, quarters and, or and rooms? Or normally are. Yeah, yeah. It's like everything seemed like it was being done in the corridors. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, okay, cool. I, I, I guess that's, you know. It, it had to work out that way so that the the bailiffs could work through and uh, you know, you know, shake everybody down for lunch money or or whatever it was they were doing. What were they doing, by the way? Uh, it's a discussion for another time. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, I definitely appreciated the doctor professor joke. I didn't get a chance to look it up. Is that from a movie, or were, was this just a clever play? Or, or, or were they just having fun with the doctor professor? Which joke? The, the, the joke, you know, because it was Dr. Professor Korkava and somebody uh-huh. would say the doctor and she would be like, Dr. Professor. Okay. Or somebody would say the professor and she'd be like, Dr. Professor. Okay. Yeah. You know, I thought so, maybe you meant the, the Leslie Nils doctor, doctor. Oh, well, doctor, yeah, that's, doctor. that's the okay. first place I went, <laughs> but that's not exactly the same. It was humorous, though. If it was mm-hmm. if it was meant to be played off as humorous, the the constant reminder it's Doctor Professor, which mm-hmm. is totally ridiculous to begin with. <laughs> yeah, but it, it I thought it played well throughout throughout the episode. 
Well, that's what I was wondering is like, if, is this an actual title that people have, Dr. Professor, or is Professor her first name? Professor Corcavo is like her full listed name. Is that yeah. what you're inferring here? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, I'm just throwing <laughs> kind out kind ideas. Of kind, of, kind of, well, that's pretty rotten of the parents to put that kind of pressure on a, on a young child. <laughs> yeah. You know what we want you to be? Well, well, we named you that. Yeah. And how disappointed they must be because she became a doctor. Doctor first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Doctor precedes professor. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know if that's an actual thing. If And here we're making light of it. And I'm sorry, if you're a listener and you are a doctor and a professor of something and you're offended by the fact that we're making light of two titles, apologies. But... Uh, might want to take yourself a little less serious. Print one thing on the card, you know, on your business card. And then maybe just make a note underneath that you are also the professor of studies at such and such, you know. Right. Well, I think professors quite often have doctorates. They do. Yeah. So um how many still, of I've never heard of any of them being insisting on called yeah, doctor professor. Doctor professor. <laughs> In fact, most of them just go by doctor. That's true. They prefer the doctor. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, we're, we made it up to doctor, so scrap the professor. Yeah. I'm not Plug just teaching. Professor into the hyperdrive. I'm tenured and 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 uh I I have a I have a diploma or not a diploma. What a certificate on the wall that indicates a degree? That, huh? A degree, a degree, that's what they're called. <laughs> Obviously, I I do not have one of those hanging <laughs> on my wall. All right. So I just I I got one thing I want to say to Harper. You need to tell better jokes. So there, at the very beginning, we're used to Harper, yeah, just with his corny, lame jokes. Like it's what we love about him, right? Except this time, he seems to really be concerned that uh, even though Dylan is clearly in the middle of something, he's taking things very seriously. And Harper makes one of the dumbest jokes I have ever heard him say. You'll have to refresh me. Which one was he, that? Like, it's it's embarrassing even to repeat. He <laughs> says, we're on the clock. Dylan says, we're on the clock. Harper says, oh, I thought we were on a ship. I mean... That's that's like worse than dad joke level. That is, yeah. That's that's pretty yeah. lame. And, but, yeah, he, he's pretty upset that Dylan didn't like it. Um, and he's even more upset. He's like, well, if I can't even make you laugh, how am I going to entertain this group full of people? And that's why I wrote down, that's my answer, is tell better jokes. Get better material. Yeah, because that was bad. <laughs> what must it be like if Harper goes to an open mic night? It's got to be rough. I saw it. I think you're right. I think you're right. I think we just answered that question. Very good. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to take you to Dylan finds the missing doctor, right, in his cell. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, knocks out the, the guard that brings the food in and everything. And it's like, okay, it's time to make our escape. Now, I want to discuss this for just a second. How often have we seen the old calm wire in the light fixture trick? And really? <laughs> what, what, what's going on here? What's happening? Is he using the, the, the light fixture the cage around it as a Faraday cage of some sort that's that's amplifying the comm signal is that what's supposed to be happening here yes I think that's exactly what's happening here okay okay mm -hmm. all right um I mean that's the best explanation I could have 
thought of. Okay. So I, I mean, it, it just, but just, it was also the fact that he, he pulls the string out and just kind of pokes it into the, the grate and then mm-hmm. proceeds to look at the doctor and is like, hey, it's low tech, I know. And I'm like, I actually don't understand what's going on here. <laughs> did they just, did the director just say, hey, let's just, um, yeah, poke a wire into the cage and we'll, we'll, we'll pretend like this actually does something. I'm, I'm glad we got any explanation at all, though, because at first I thought it was he just had a a, a box of dental floss. <laughs> yes. I was like, yes. Oh, what? what is he? What is he doing? This isn't look. Hygiene is important. Dental hygiene is important. I think we can all agree on that. You need to take care of your teeth. But right now is not the time, Dylan. <laughs> agree. Does he always carry it with him. That would be a very MacGyver move of him. Yeah. One thing that I also noticed about Dylan in this episode is he is extremely quick when he needs to be, uh, especially when he's following at his own leisurely pace. He's following bailiffs around the ship and then just kind of pops up wherever, yeah. wherever he needs to be. Um, it, you know, I, I, I think we can, I can give a little bit of allowance maybe sometimes because it is his ship. He's more familiar with it than anybody is anybody else is. So he's going to know all of the little shortcuts and, and, and everything. But I mean, we saw those guys do the, the slide down the, down the ladder. Right. Yeah. And then he, just and we know there's casually. a lot of decks under there. Yeah. So you can pick up some pretty good speed. Yeah, and then he just gets on the ladder and casually starts climbing <laughs> down, and then when they get to the bottom, he's waiting for them around the corner. Yeah. Um. Nope. 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 <laughs> I, I agree. No, it was I'm very. Not buying that one. It was very Marx Brothers esque, especially mm-hmm. where the one pops, he slides down, and then walks off camera, and then the other bailiff walks through the same shot, and then immediately Dylan's behind him, and I'm thinking these guys are not very observant because he's right there behind you. (laughs) That was my thought on it. Uh, While we're picking on Harper, I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't, you know, discuss Harper's technique for persuading people uh, to continue with a project or to, or to get on board with a project. And I, I've, I have failed. I'll have to go back and look through notes from when I was in school. But I, I somehow I missed the lesson of insult individuals to get them to stay. Because apparently that's supposed to work every time. Um, yeah, 60% of the time it works every time. That's, I feel like I've heard that somewhere where it was important. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. right. Okay. All right. So these bailiffs again, right? We find out who they are. They're, they're there. Um, under Commonwealth orders, right? They've got this thing they're supposed to be doing. They have credentials. They have a summons, right? They have all this stuff showing that they legally have the right to be there and that they legally have the right to take Dylan into custody. Yet they go around, and as you alluded to earlier, they're just kind of bullying the crew and just going about their business until Dylan forces it and he beats them up. And then they show their credentials and the summons. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking, why not show up at the front door with that? Right. Be like, hey, 
here's here's who we are here's why we're here yeah you kind of got to do what we say now right yeah it could have avoided a lot of this what 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 was this all about was it okay as i'm saying that now i'm realizing was this part of the test oh i'm sure it was i mean as as we'll get into with the episode well we just it's it's a minor detail but as they pointed out they're there to recruit dylan right so that they want him on their team so they want to see how he performs under pressure so i guess show up and you know shake the kitties down for for lunch money as i stated before and you know make yourself a general nuisance on his ship and uh poke the bear and see what happens okay. unfortunately it didn't work out too good for him but we kind of knew that was going to that's that was how that was going to play out i want to give a sound out to sound design i appreciate what they were doing but the sound that they picked for Dr. Professor uh, reacting to the, what was the, 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 the question that Harper asks, um, mm. what are the free, uh, yeah, the from, 10 radical from, isotopes? From the beginning. From the beginning, yes. <laughs> right. What are the 10 radical isotopes? So when he starts saying it. Oh, I hope I didn't set anyone off just now. <laughs> oh, yeah. That might, we probably should put a warning out before this episode starts. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, when he starts uttering the phrase, Dr. Korkava stands up and it sounded like she had digestive issues, <laughs> to be frank. <laughs> I, I thought it was an interesting choice on sound design. I liked it, but it could also be confused with, oh, it's time to go to the restroom. <laughs> right. Right. I think Lloyd Christmas made the same sound I, when he was at Mary Swanson's house. I think you may be right. Yeah. Was it Lloyd? And if No, uh, it was not Lloyd. Oh, no, yeah, it was Harry. It was Harry. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, but Lloyd did it to him, right? That, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Now that we got that straight, because we right. couldn't, there's no way we're getting caught out on that one. Oh, man, could you imagine the emails? The emails would be just terrible. So, do you think Harper goes anywhere without a force lance anymore? Yeah. You think he does? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, so <laughs> lesson not learned. No, no, I don't no, think okay. so. Uh, okay. All right. Well, now that we got that covered. And then finally, <laughs> I do appreciate the the line that Dylan delivers at the end of the episode. Harper, your choice in women, well, it's it's not good. <laughs> like, talk about letting them off easy. Cause yeah. let's talk about Harper's choice in women. Uh, okay. Wow. You need he needs help. He really needs help. But nobody's really got the time to give it to him, and that's sad. Yeah, you know what? This actually dovetails into a, a an actual talking point. Okay. That I have written down. Do you have Do you have more? No, I'm good. Want... We're, we're okay. done. Okay. What a perfect segue. Okay. Because I do want to talk about that. Let's actually. talk about it. All right. Um. So my note here says, "Pretty girl interested in Harper has to be a trap." Yes. And I just want to say. First of all, I feel bad for Seamus Harper. And I also want to say, shame on you writers, because this is what you always do to poor Harper. Why is it so impossible for Harper to get the girl and there not be anything else dangerous, deadly <laughs> that comes with it? Yeah, yeah. This is what we do, right? Dylan is the one that always gets the girl. If there's if there's a girl, yeah, then then it's going to be 
is going to be Dylan, right? Yeah, I'm, and if, I'm, I'm racking my brain. I'm try- we have not seen Harper have any kind of successful relationship with even of some of our regular crew. <laughs> he doesn't have a normal relationship with any of the female crew members ever. No, even the artifact that he built. Yeah. He can't get anywhere artifact. with her. Say artifact right? again. <laughs> no, no, I no. won't do it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I take it back. Um, he, he, I don't know. You always kind of, I've always kind of wondered why he, if he has this obsession with Rami, why could he not have designed her in a way that would have benefited him? Um, but also at the same time, as much as we like to harp on Harper for kind of being a sleaze, good on him for not doing that. True. Okay. But the fact still remains that he's, he's, he's left as a punching bag for the writers when it comes to this aspect of his life. Yeah. We cannot let him be successful in love or relationships and it's not the first time that we've seen this before anytime it looks like okay usually what we get is he he comes on to somebody and they immediately just shoot him down right the alternative is we're going to lead him on and us make him believe that maybe he's actually going to to find something here only for it for it to be just it's a trap every time yeah and that's what we see here. So you almost got to see this coming by this point. Yeah, it, you almost it, it almost feels like the episode would have been better if they'd have thrown you a curveball. And OK, Dr. Professor Korkava is responding to him. And therefore, we all we know who the bad guy is. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's the end result that we're, and kind of the, the thing that we're harping harping on here yeah um that we already know who the bad guy is because of her response to harper it almost would have been better if they had thrown that in there as like a red herring and said okay the actual bad person is uh dr 26 carol right that would have made sense too. It, it would have been an interesting twist and then we would not have already known yeah, but well, well, even Becca says it. I don't trust that. Or was it Becca, or was it Trance that says I don't trust that woman? I think it was. I think it was Becca. But you know, they they were already throwing out all of those indicators that this is a woman not to be trusted, chiefly because she's interested in Harper. So we know this is going to go right. Bad. So they all catch on to it. Yeah, yeah. Clearly, she cannot be trusted. Because yeah. she's showing interest. And and also, I think they went just a little over the top with it, too. As far as the way that she was acting like she was coming on to Harper in a very villainy kind of way. <laughs> yes. Very skeevy. Yeah. 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 Very. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, it 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 is a trope that we have seen repeated uh, throughout three and a half seasons now. Um, man, they, they, they need they need to throw us a little something to keep us from being totally locked in on uh what we know is going to happen yeah you know another way they could have kept us guessing a little bit is to actually make her interest in harper legit yeah and and then kill her off at the end do brain surgery on her yeah that way harper still ends up unhappy but and but does that make the episode just that much more sad because it was somebody that was legitimately interested in him but then gets killed 
or otherwise incapacitated so that nothing happens. I mean, that almost would be worse. Yeah, it would be worse, but worse in a way that makes Harper seem like someone who could possibly be lovable. That's a good point. Now we're still left with no one could love Harper and we're just going to use him as a tool to to meet the evil ends of of the of the abyss. Yeah. The the abyss is the only one that could love Harper and only for what it can get out of him. Wow. And that's pretty much the anytime there's <laughs> anytime there's been a woman genuinely interested in Harper, it's either been the embodiment of the abyss or directly working for the abyss. If I remember correctly, right? I think so, yeah. Good grief. He's like a lightning rod. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least it makes it easy for Dylan and the crew to figure things out. Right. That's true. All right. So let's talk about Highguard bailiffs for a second. So we saw them at work on the ship. Um, they obviously, uh, well, as Trilorn describes them, they are a rough hewn lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, special can collections I, division. Can I... Can yeah, I stop go, you right there? Yeah, I, I think I need to get I need to get a definition of bailiff because oh. I had in my mind what a bailiff was, and yes. it's not this at all. No, no. Um, they are in security, which technically I guess a bailiff would be involved in security, right? Okay. So I guess I guess that's where we're kind of stretching it. the the mean the term the use of the the term. Okay. Or the name. Now, I don't know if I don't know if the, if this term is used all over the world the same way. And we do have listeners internationally, so I just want to say, I, okay, so here in America, when I think of a bailiff, that is usually an officer or a guard who is in a courtroom. Yeah. Right. Or, or working in a jail, like a city, uh, like a county jail or something. Right. So that's where you get the expression bailiff, take him away. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Court of law t- typically is uh-huh. where we see it. Yeah. So he okay. is an officer of the law, but it's a very specific role. And it's not a constable. That's what these guys are, are, are like marshals, right? Mm-hmm. I, I really wish they'd use that kind of terminology instead for what they're doing. Like, like they are, they are separate in their role within the the, new, the the commonwealth but call them like a constable or yeah. sheriffs or, or deputy or pinkertons there you go that that would have been a, been a cool callback um but yeah bailiff just didn't quite fit but in any case what do we know about these guys they work for special collections division so the collectors really are kind of a big deal have really set themselves up as something important within the Commonwealth and I guess really are kind of like the strings, uh, you know, moving things around behind the scenes. They have all the power. Are they the strings or are they the puppeteers? The, the, I'm sorry, the puppeteers pulling the strings right mm-hmm. within the, the Commonwealth and, and really kind of are, have collected, see what I did there, uh, quite a bit of the power to themselves. And these bailiffs, I guess, are just an extension of that. Uh, not the best recruiters, though. No, I mean, the, I think the process is flawed. But what do I know? I, I mean, I alluded to it earlier about, you know, the way they just go in, they start muscling their way around. And then finally, 
explain to him why they don't even explain to him why he's there they they get, he, it goes through like three different uh different for different versions of the story of why they're there right <laughs> yes. it's a debriefing and then it's an interrogation and now it's a now recruitment. it's recruitment yeah yeah and you know it's a decently appointed room apparently though they they're not uh they're not big on wine um you know they 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 bought off the bottom shelf apparently which, or maybe which, Dylan hold just on. doesn't like wine. Well, maybe he doesn't, but he does make the uh, he does say, uh, "Ooh, bad year." So is 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 Dylan a sommelier? I mean, d- does he know that much about wine? Uh, well, hold on, hold on. Okay. Yes, because his collection is at least three hundred years old. <laughs> yeah, but is it <laughs> true? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. not really. Oh. I, th- I thought it'd be um, a good place for a wine joke there. but anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, also, as far as just, you know, one-liners like that, this episode, correct me if I'm wrong, but Dylan was just, just lousy with him. Oh. Was he not, was he not extra sassy this week? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Extra sassy. Yes. Uh, I, I like, I like the way you put that. Like because they, it was, it yeah. was like noticeably cranked to 11. Oh yeah, the the level of you know, the sassback chick chip was a bit overclocked, I do <laughs> believe. <laughs> yeah, there was there was some extra mustard on it for sure, for sure. Um, yeah. And and I think that's kind of a thing that's been, I think it really hit us in the face this time, but I, it's something that I have seen Dylan kind of really cranking that up over the last uh, season and a half or so. Of him having a lot more just almost like he's um, just kind of just ironically saying things. Yeah. And just kind yeah. of just he always kind of has that little <laughs> that laugh before he says something um, really kind of a way of putting himself above whoever he's talking to mm-hmm. is like, OK, here's this thing. You're being totally serious, but I'm going to come back at you with a little smirk a laugh and a zinger to show yeah. you just how little i actually think of you yeah and, and i'm i'm thinking about that the point that you're making there on how dylan reacts in those situations now particularly over this last eh, season and a half really he, he's kind of taken on this persona right I'm, I'm contrasting that with what we got in the especially the first season where he was very much man out of time learning his way. But there was a way in which Kevin Sorbo played the character of Dylan Hunt that made it very endearing. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, I, I feel like first season Dylan Hunt is the best version of Dylan Hunt that we have seen. And in season two, it's there also. And then in season three, we start to get this snarky, overclock sass back chip you know the, the, all of the things we've been alluding to here and it has really plummeted my opinion of dylan hunt as an individual you know and and, and even it's sneaking in on in his command style too and, and yeah i just just you bring it up so i i figured i, I want to voice how i felt about that change over you know watching it occur over three and a half seasons here Rade and Becca, we get to see them thrown together yet again. Back-to-back mm-hmm. episodes now where we've seen them working together. Are they really working together or are they just trying to figure each other out? 
What what do we think about their style together? You know, I think we're trying to figure out them trying to figure each other out. She doesn't want him to know what she knows about him that he knows about her. And, you know, it's just this, yeah. this round robin thing yeah. between them. Well, just a, a little disagreement as to what is their next move. And, you know, from where I sit, I don't really know that either of them were particularly wrong. Like, I don't know that Rod A was really wrong in what he thought they should do. Um, but also you have to respect the chain of command. Yeah. And Becca is the one that's been put there. And I don't know why they have to make Rod A challenge her so that Becca can then put him in his place. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about in what, two, three episodes ago, uh, or maybe it was longer than that. The fact that Rod A seemed like the type of Nietzschean that you would want to have a beer with, right? Mm -hmm. Because he wasn't overbearing and harsh. And it seemed like there was a little bit of, uh, there was a, a little softness to go with his, you know, his Nietzschean personality that made him endearing. And now in these last couple of episodes, they've tossed that completely out the window. He's challenging Becca constantly. It's almost as if he wants to be second in command. And that wasn't how he was initially, when he was initially brought on board, he was like, I'm happy to be here and help Dylan in his quest. Right. Mm -hmm. And now it seems like they've made him into Rade with ambition. And yeah, well, what, what is his position now? Is he high guard? Or is he just, is he, is he an acting officer or is he an, not, not even, I shouldn't have said officer. That was the wrong word. Is he an acting soldier? Yeah. That's just, that's just working there with them in cooperation with them. Um, yeah. I mean, it, no, that's, that's brilliant. They, they have not in the show defined his role, like stated it. Dylan has not said you will function as such. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so maybe that's, maybe we're watching the writer struggle with it too. <laughs> and so therefore yeah. we have Becca and Rade together on screen butting heads because there, there's no defined role yet. Yeah. I mean, the rest of the crew, they all just kind of became high guard by default Yeah, when the new Commonwealth was established and they established the new high guard with it. Then our core group of characters that we had, including Tyr, you know, and none of them had any sort of, of aspirations of being high guard officers, but here they were serving on the Andromeda under Dylan. So that's like they were just de facto high guard officers. Yeah. Given some sort of rank and title. Well, and, and without stating explicitly what their roles were, you could identify them. I mean, Trance is medical officer. Uh, Harper is engineer, right? You know, and Becca mm -hmm. is first officer. That's just the roles that we've seen them in, that they have inhabited, and it just made sense. And now we have Rade, and yeah, what I mean, what what would you identify his role as in these three episodes that we've seen him in? I mean, I think in my head, I want him to be tactical. Makes sense. 
I don't know, but I but we but we haven't seen him in that role, been, have we? Yeah. So how does it work then? Is does a is a captain can they just go out and and hire officers off the street? Well, does that work? I I I I imagine it's it's something similar to what the British Navy did. You know, they would just you know ransack a village and just take the young ones and make them whatever officers they wanted to make out of them. Can just can yeah. script them into service. <laughs> Yeah, but this this seems a little bit more voluntary. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he says, basically, he's like, look, I've got nothing wherever it was. I was there for a while. So I want to go with you guys now because you guys have lost a Nietzschean in your cast. And so I'd like to replace that Nietzschean. Yeah. And Dylan's like, okay, cool. You can sit on my command deck. So is Roddy a floater? Maybe. Is that, is that what he is? <laughs> Yeah. Okay. <laughs> He's just whatever but, role we need him to be right now until he finds his place. Okay. All right. But I don't think we're going to see him float anywhere else. Uh. So. So we learned something about uh the universe here. Actually, we learned several somethings. Uh. That one. And I'm just going to list them out, and you just pick whichever one you want to talk about. Okay. And, and we'll go with it. Okay. Um. Brain surgery is quite a bit different in the future. In the fact that you can harness genius, can, um, do we want to talk about what's involved in that, or is this something very specific to the abyss? Yeah, I think it's worth talking about. Okay, because uh, I don't think that this is actually a thing in this universe <laughs> or any other universe. It's just well, it's a thing that is like we just kind of made it up for this episode. Yeah, yeah, and and like Trance describes the brain and how it was how the surgery was performed, and she said it found she found it was riddled with wormholes, and I'm like, okay, whoa, and Becca's reaction to it was ooh, gross, you know. Mm-hmm. Now I took that on the initial time that I watched it, I, I was thinking like wormholes, like there was some sort of energy that used like gravity to worm its way through the brain to find whatever it was looking for. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the second time in, in watching Becca's reaction, wormholes was like revolting. Like it, like, it, you know, it was just, you know, tunnels dug through the brain. And, uh, and I'm just wondering if you're, if you're tunneling through the brain like that, you're destroying the tissue. So what is it that they're take supposedly taking out? And I understand what you're saying. This isn't a real thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Let's not but, confuse. But that. looking yeah. at what we were presented with, uh, I'm just wondering how, how does trance make any sense of what's happening? Right. Well, what I want to know is, okay, they're making these holes, but are these holes actually, um, here's an illustration. So let's say you're drilling a pilot hole because you're going to, you're going to put in a screw or a nail, right? Okay. So you drill the pilot hole with a drill and a drill bit. And then where you drill, it creates all of that all of the the dust right and it all Mm -hmm. just comes out all that sawdust comes out okay so that's no longer part of the wood right on the other hand if you take a nail and just drive it into the wood you don't lose any material it just just goes between the fibers yeah so this is like these are like micro wormholes are they small enough that they're going through the neurological tissue 
like in between the fibers mm-hmm. or, or or is it actually drilling holes through the brain? Well, the fact that we had hemorrhaging out of the, the first scientist's head indicates to me that it's doing substantial amounts of damage in there. Well, I mean, you drive a nail into somebody's head, it's going to bleed. True. Yeah. Drill a hole and it's going to bleed as well. Yeah. 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 I don't now, know. We're that... not recommending either of these. <laughs> yeah, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> please don't. Um, but it, it's it, either in either case, regardless of the method uh, and how it works, uh, it's it's killing people. So, and, and they do mention that the higher brain functions are being removed. Are those sections of gray matter that are being pulled out, or is it somehow siphoning electrical energies or or or? Buh, I, I'm not sure. Yeah, I. Here's another problem with that is I don't know if when was this episode released? Two thousand four, three, two thousand three. Yeah. So I don't know how much more we know about how the brain works now as we record this in 2022 as we knew back in 2003 but the brain doesn't work like that <laughs> we already knew that oh, we did <laughs> i think okay. we did i, think I didn't we did. know if maybe that was something new that we that we've learned recently but but i happen to know <laughs> the brain doesn't work like that right. you don't have a spot that that's where you store all of your memories and your genius your genius yes yeah yeah Yeah. as if it's a a removable component that if you plug it in somewhere else that something else has the same iq right (laughs) no it right it it, that's not how it that's not how and i think we understand that i just i don't know i was a little lost in how this the whole thing was being presented to us okay so what are they going in there and getting the (laughs) <laughs> the 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 scientist's essence i guess okay all right katra <laughs> the, the yeah i like essence because i've watched dr strange love recently so you know okay you <laughs> um something else like i said i had i had a list here uh negative atomic weights i thought that was an interesting sci-fi concept that we got presented with here yeah. And and I, I I assume that's probably going to play a little bit further down the road in our storytelling. Yeah, would I be correct in that? Uh you would be yeah, okay. correct. Mm-hmm. So we did actually find the key here. We 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 have found something significant in the war or the battle against the abyss. Yeah, this is pretty big. Yeah. Um the 10 radical isotopes. So, I mean, this is a, this is a thing that we as Harper explained it, it's something that we can't really comprehend. It doesn't make any sense. Like it's an, it's an impossibility yeah. in this universe in which we exist. Yeah. Isotopes it, with, or elements with a negative number of isotopes. Yeah. And I, I just want to point out that I, I, I wish, man, I wish we had been able to give feedback to the writers of this show as they were doing this, as if it mattered what we said. <laughs> but I like Harper so much more when he is being smart. And when he is being capable and it's fine for him to be silly and make mistakes. You want to see your character do that. You you don't want your genius to also be, you know, unrelatable. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so those moments when he makes mistakes, it, it, in, it could work better. Um, but honestly, when he's being smart, that's when Harper is really endearing to me. And, yeah. and, and so there at the end, when he's explaining 
you know, what these negative uh, atomic weights are and, you know, what that really means for, for science. And it's, it's a new frontier basically. And it's, it's something new to explore. Uh, you know, I, I liked Harper more in those moments than I do when he's being, you know, creepy and terrible in his choices on women. <laughs> yeah. And, and Harper likes himself what better when he's that way too. Yeah. I mean, cause we, we do get, some of that uh, as far as that's that's why he's kind of in this position that he's in in this episode is because he is super smart scary smart but he also has social skills when the writers decide that it's good for him to have <laughs> yeah. good social skills yeah and i wish they would give him those social skills as something a little more permanent or a little more or or better established than the really the the hit and miss yeah. Harper that we get. Well, even in this episode, he goes back and forth. He's hitting. Yeah, miss. yeah, that is true. So, I mean, how can we say that? How can we establish that in this episode, and then not stick with it at least through the whole episode? Yeah. And finally, the the last thing I had written down here, we had an engine of, engine of creation sighting. Yeah, remember? So, I thought we were done with that. I thought so, too. Yeah. I thought they had let that go by the wayside. But no, we had a, a mention of it here in the fact that what what was the, the details of it? There were two scientists that had worked on the engine of creation. And we got a, a sense of, of what the engine of creation, uh, at least in the universe, was capable of. Right? Yeah. Creating something from nothing. Yeah. So, which, you know, stands to reason that that it it was aptly named then. Mm -hmm. So is it, uh, does it actually do that though? Does it create something? Does it create matter when there is no matter? Or is it drawing on this other universe and just drawing matter from this other universe? So there's still the law of the conversation there's still the law of conservation of matter here involved right yeah so you're just taking it from one place that we don't know exists yeah and i don't i don't know that that's what's happening but all these things seem to be tied together right right well and and trans mention makes mention I, i believe she says destroy the universe or save us from the abyss so obviously yeah they're they're using this engine of creation as you said it has severe consequences so it's definitely it's either affecting our universe or that negative universe uh or both of them maybe even adversely uh just by using it is it a bizarro universe Ooh, it's kind of cool to think about Yeah. yeah uh so the okay back to the engine of creation though okay the last time we saw it, it was on the Andromeda. In pieces, yes. Is it still on the Andromeda? Oh, Because they haven't talked about it. It sounds like not. It, it sounds like it's in a laboratory where at least two of these scientists have, have been exposed to it or, or have So they've been it. working on it since we last saw it uh, that's what it sounded like to me yes not before we last saw it correct okay so because what, what was the circumstance when we first saw it becca was going to try and find it right yeah it, it was it was lost it was legend 
and Becca was going to find it. They did end up finding it. It was on Andromeda. It sounded to me like at some point in the last couple of years, Dylan has handed it over to the Commonwealth for examination. That's how I had that played out in my head. Okay. That makes sense. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying that's that was my version of it. Well, I don't have any other version of that story to tell. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, because I, here I was under the impression that they were working on it before all of this happened because last time I saw it, it was on the Andromeda. So I was thinking it was still there. But, um, but to me, know. it sounded like probably not anymore. Okay. All right. So, yeah, speaking of all of these things that we have seen and forgotten about and now are seeing again and are making ties to uh, the Magog, the world ship. They're still, still a thing. A thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's still a Buy thing. Me a Coke. And yeah, <laughs> and it's a really big thing apparently now. Yeah. Because we're starting to have massive conferences about this now. Mm hmm. I'm tr- I'm sitting there trying to think. All right, so we did this in 2003. Did by by this point had there already been a major uh, climate change conference in the world? I think I want to say that yeah, that there were that there was one in the late 90s, but I would have to look that up, and I didn't. But yeah, this definitely felt like a. a I mean, it's it's something that's we hear about in the news a lot nowadays. You know, these big climate change conferences, these scientists get together to discuss and brainstorm the best ideas for dealing with climate change. And essentially nothing really comes out of it. (laughs) And so I feel like that's kind of what we have here, except for the fact that Dylan stumbled across the negative isotope solution. And we'll see how we'll see how that saves the universe later on. But uh, ultimately, from the conference, did you feel like anything positive was coming out of it or did it seem like a. A waste of time. Well, I mean, yeah, there was that. There was the, the the radical isotopes. Yeah, when that came out of this. Okay, um, but and they were but, able to but study completely this. by accident. Yeah, that's true. We don't know what all was discussed. This, this is, is from our point of view. This was all behind closed doors. Now, okay, it's just like these conferences that you're talking about. We don't we don't know really what all is being talked about you know you say oh we come they come away from it and nothing really happens i mean i don't know i don't know what they talked about i don't know what sort of agreements or ideas they came up with and we're kind of floating around you know you can't you can't turn a uh a a cruise liner around you know that fast (laughs) right right it it takes a while yeah it takes a while i don't remember exactly how the expression goes but you get what i'm saying it takes a while to turn it so the the bad thing is with the world ship we don't have that much time yeah so we got to turn it around faster but then again i mean they didn't really show us or tell us what they were doing at the conference what they were talking about all we know is that harper laid them all on this guilt trip and they all came back yeah and then that one guy very agreeably nodded 
you know. <laughs> and <laughs> yes. so, and the music swelled, so we knew everything was good at that point. Oh yeah, that that was a good touch, wasn't it? That was. I wonder if I wonder if they could all hear that, or if that was just for our benefit. <laughs> I like to think that that was that was real. That was there. Yeah. Like over the loudspeakers, they were uh-huh. all yeah okay, yeah. Because I mean, how much more powerful would that be if we could have that swelling orchestral music when we're trying to convince somebody of something? Mm-hmm. I know. I'm going to start just keeping just carrying that around <laughs> on your phone. We're recording of that, yeah. <laughs> That's when I'm starting. You know, it's like, hey, look, you guys, we can have mac and cheese any night of the week, but tonight is pizza and start playing it right <laughs> you're going to get pizza every time yeah or chinese food or mexican whatever it is that you want exactly you're you're going to get it i think that's the lesson we've learned from this episode tonight is mm-hmm. just have swelling music on standby and time out your speech for the crescendo of that music mm-hmm. and life will go your way probably more often than not so there you go uh is trialoran an ally does Dylan finally have an ally in the new systems Commonwealth? Oh, you know, it's, they always turn out to not be, but we got to have a don't win. You, don't you feel like maybe we've got it? We've got someone on our, on our side this time. Dylan needs a win. He needs mm-hmm. to have something to believe in someone he can rely on and believe in, in the, in the new systems Commonwealth. So I'm going to go with, yes, he's an ally for this episode. Well, I mean, look how agreeable he is to Dylan, though. He's, he says, I'd like to recommend Harbor for a medal. And he's like, you got it. It's done. Yeah, done. Mm-hmm. Um, which I noticed that Harper was wearing some medals. Hmm. Were, were those medals that he's already received before and uh, we've never talked about it? Or are those just like his everyday medals? I thought it was those part are, of his, just one of his shirts. Is that all of us? I, th- I thought it was just part of his shirt, yeah. Oh. Like, in okay. all seriousness, I, I didn't even pay attention. No. Well, that's too bad. I was hoping maybe or, Harper what, was... Was he really, like, are you talking about when he's when he thought he was going to Dylan's room to be dressed down? Is it there at the end? Is that... Yeah, they're pretty okay. much on him the whole time. Okay. Um, Is that what he does when he's called to the principal's office? He puts all his medals <laughs> on? I gotta make myself look like I'm very accomplished. Before Remember I these get... good things I did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. All right, Ethan, let's move on to the quote. The quote for this episode. Regarding the cerebellum, there is a culture and a presentation. Both hold power and sway. Cuisine of the Lost Empire Commonwealth Year 9905. Okay. I'm going to go here. You? Can, can I just sum it up with that? <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, I think as it relates to this show, yeah. Well, hold on. Not just as it relates. Okay. So cuisine of the Lost Empire. Regarding the cerebellum, there is a culture and a presentation. Both hold power and sway. Cuisine of the Lost uh, It's talking about food here. Brains as food. That's what I'm getting out of this. Therefore, ew. So like like chilled human brains? Yeah, or monkey brain or what you know, whatever. Huh. But you know, uh gray matter as sustenance is what I feel like this is referring to here. And you can you can uh 
you know, it, it, they're, they're, I don't understand what they mean by culture, but I certainly get what they mean by presentation because presentation is everything with cuisine, right? Mm-hmm. And so it, immediately my mind is going to lowest common denominator. And yeah, I, I don't know. I don't like it. I don't like it. The abyss likes brains, apparently. We, yeah. we know that now. But um, yeah, I, I'm not about that. All right. I think I may be able to help you out with the culture part. Okay. Go for it. Um, because maybe presentation is about food. But, you know, food tells a story, right? Your dish can tell a story. So let's just go on what you're saying, that this is about, this is about food. Um, culture is in the cerebellum, right? That's the higher functioning part of our brain that makes culture possible. There's no other animal species that has culture like humans do. There are other animals that may have a certain um, form of communication uh, in, in a way. They may have um, just instinctual behaviors so that they can act as a community but it's you know mostly for protection and and for the uh, safety of the of the group humans do all those things but to a completely next level level i said level too many times there didn't i but but that but they do right it's not just purely for safety and protection it's also for uh recreation just the enjoyment of life and being part of a community, being part of a culture, right? This is why we have things like music and art and, um, and athletic sports and things like that, right? That no other species has these kinds of things that bring us together as a culture. And it's this higher functioning part of the brain that makes that possible. The presentation part, I think I was thinking of that in a little bit different way also because I was just thinking of of how it is that humans act in our cultures and we do have a way of presenting that. We, we present ourselves a certain way as intelligent beings. Um, so both have, both hold power and sway. We're the dominant species on the planet. And it's not even close, right? Because we have this higher functioning power of our brain. We have culture. We're able to present it in a way that we have every other species below us on this planet. Um, And then by extension in the universe of Andromeda, all of these higher functioning species that are, that are capable of space travel and, and all of these things, they're, they're better than the species that are not able to do that, that are not intelligent. This whole food thing makes me rethink the whole thing, though. Well, I, I, I hear what you're saying, and, and, and excellent points, beautifully presented. Um, the problem but... is the title, <laughs> the title of the work is not Philosophies of the Lost Empire. Or cultures of the lost empire. It's no cuisine mm-hmm. of the lost. This isn't a cookbook. 
<laughs> I don't know. I, I, I love where you're going, and I love the thought that you've put into it, but I cannot get around the fact that it's talking about cerebellums in a cookbook. My mind immediately goes to one place and one place only. Right. And I don't think that either of our takes is, is mutually exclusive. Here. Yeah. No, I, I would agree because with that. Like I said at the beginning of this whole thing is that your your plate tells a story. You're right. So when yeah. you're sitting down to a meal of chilled Harper brain, then <laughs> this is the story that it tells. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. It's an interesting quote. Uh, and, and you could go one way. You could go you or you could go, huh? So, yeah, it's I, I actually I actually like the quote. Why can't you do both? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not wired that way. All right. <laughs> that's why. Okay. All right. So, all right. That's what you think of the quote. That's what I think of the quote. What about the episode, Ethan? Let's just go ahead and drill it all down. Drill it down into your brain and mine. What do you, what do you think of this episode? <laughs> final thoughts. Final thoughts here. Wormhole to your head. Worm, what are your worm, final thoughts? Hold my head. Yeah, exactly. Um Look, this is actually not a bad episode, in in my opinion. Uh, does Harper get the short shift uh, for the majority of it? Yes, he does. Um, did they rely on the tropes that make Harper the Harper that we know? Uh, yeah, they did. And so maybe that makes it a little long in the tooth in places. But all in all, this episode has a sense of humor about it and doesn't seem to really take itself too seriously the problem is it goes a little too far with it and we touched on it in the fact that they didn't really give us enough sigh in this particular episode of sci-fi right mm -hmm. <laughs> and the, and what sigh we get uh is really wonky but it takes it's 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 that thing that you and i have talked about on the show before hang the world ship out there and the abyss and the magog and you got us because we were sucked into that episode from the very first time we saw them. We were sucked in with that storyline and this has that storyline recurring in it. And so I'm able to overlook a lot of the silliness and the tropishness of this episode. And for some reason, I'm able to set that aside, give all of that a pass and say at its heart, this is really the th it's it's touching on that through thread of what has been the Andromeda series so far. And that is protecting the galaxies from this imminent danger that is coming. And we're seeing action being taken. And it feels like at least some people are trying to, you know, push ideas forward. And we, we now have maybe something that we don't fully understand, but it's something tangible that our heroes might be able to use in this battle instead of it seeming like it's just a hopeless case. And so for that reason, I, I like this episode. I would rewatch this episode. I've watched this episode like three times in preparation for this show. Um, it's, it's enjoyable. I liked it. Have I repeated myself enough here? I liked I it. Okay. <laughs> like you, know, you use the word level. <laughs> um, you know, I kind of wish that I could, I would like to rate this episode twice on two completely different things okay but that's not the rules that we follow here so i'm going you know we really don't have any rules but i'm going to say that the rules are if we were to rate it on a, a scale of one to ten 
I'm going to put this at about a five. Mm, okay. But that's because if we were allowed to rate it twice on two different scales, then one would be a one and the other one would be like a nine or a 10. Because I feel like this episode is very, very weak in some areas and also very strong in some areas. So, so where does that leave you? Right in the middle. Yeah, right about in the middle. And some of the, you already touched on it, the stuff that they did with, with Harper, um, the tropey stuff, and also just kind of making him just the, the perpetual loser uh, and, and playing off of that. And this, this whole sort of a bad version of Spock's brain kind of thing going on, which for a bad version, that's saying a lot. That's saying right? a lot. Wow. You went there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, we actually got to see the brains this time, right? Look at, look at a, who would have thought, not me, that we would go through this whole episode and it wouldn't be until the very end that we got a Spock's brain reference. I'm proud yeah. of us, man. Proud yeah. of us. But we had to do it. We had to do it. I had I had to do it. I don't know. I guess you didn't because you know you didn't do it. So look, for one thing, let's just say Spock's brain wasn't really as bad as an episode as everyone says it was. I don't think it was really as bad as everyone makes it. No, I think that's been established. So so we're not totally I'm not I'm not totally banging on this episode because of that, right? But it's pretty bad. Yeah, there it just it didn't make sense. Like you mentioned, what is the science here? What is the part of the brain they're getting out? What are they doing with it to make it work for whatever their end is? Um, it doesn't make sense. And but we do have we have the Magog, we have the world ship. We remembered about the engine of creation, and we're talking about it again, at least in the sense that it's a thing that still exists. Uh, we have the 10 radical isotopes, which, in my opinion, is really cool. And that is going to be huge going forward here. Not to give away too much, but I mean, Dylan kind of already alluded to it. This is the key to unlocking the abyss. Now we know that. Okay. So we have things that have come up before that are going that are being brought up again and now we're learning brand new things that are going to be carried on through the rest of the season and i'm excited about some of these things that we learned in this episode so that's kind of where i'm at right there i'm just i'm stuck right in the middle i'm very excited about some of the good things very disappointed about some of the things that weren't so great but that's that's McHenry of the mind that's what I think, Ethan. We heard what you think, and that's all great. But I'd also love to hear about our listeners and what they think. Ethan, if somebody wanted to get a hold of us and let us know what they thought of this episode or any other episode that we have covered or will cover in the future, how could they get a hold of us? Well, they could send us an email to drivebackthenightpodcast at gmail.com. That's right. And you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter using the handle at AndromedaPod on both of those social media locations. And as promised, I did mention in the very beginning that if you wanted to go back and listen to other episodes, if you haven't heard them, here's where you can do that. You can go to Podbean. We are AndromedaSeries.Podbean.com. 
that's where all of our episodes are homed. Homed? Is that a word? Nope. <laughs> but you used it, and it's staying. Yep. We're going. Where else could they find us, Ethan? Uh, they can find us on uh, Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, really anywhere you find podcasts, you'll be able to find us. And if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, give us a star rating and review. Uh, that helps the show get uh, discovered and, and found by other Andromeda fans. Good thanks to our big friend, Doug Anderson, for lending us his voice for the beginning uh, quote of this episode. And we hope that you will join us again next time when we look at episode number 75, Exalted Reason, Resplendent Daughter. Daughter.